tonight, instead of the traditional Thanksgiving message, where we talk about thankfulness and gratefulness, as, which is good, a lot of churches do that, and that's fine. I thought I would be thankful that I can get to the end of this, <laughs> of this teaching. That's what I'm going to be thankful for tonight. Because y'all know that wrapping up sometimes has been a challenge for me. I'll be right on a track and then switch tracks and then have to come back at some point in the future. So I am happy to be able to wrap up part seven of fundamental Christianity. And I won't even make an attempt at part eight tonight. Uh, I will come back to that as the Lord instructs. But I'm very excited about this teaching because as we reaffirm these foundational truths and as we dig deeper into dig deeper is, as we establish more simply is a better way to put it because deepness is not the, the intention here simplicity is we want the word to be simple and doable as we as we simplify a lot of these things that religion has complicated I expect to see more results. And I got to tell you, I'm seeing them in some of your lives. Uh, I got a phone call yesterday that was very encouraging. Uh, not because I was surprised, because I'm never surprised when God's word works. But I was encouraged because we're the ones working it. And uh, I won't go into detail about that because that's somebody else's testimony. I'll let them share it when the time comes, when they're prepared to do so. But I was very encouraged, very happy to hear that those who are obedient to the word and consistent and faithful are getting miraculous results. Sometimes you can think, oh, we just, we're a small church in a small town in a small part of the world, but God is not small and he's not governed by size. His word works here just like it works anywhere else in the world under anybody else's teaching or ministry because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And if you just find your connection point to where the spirit of God is, I don't care if it's in a tool shed in Timbuktu, if the spirit of God is there and you plug in, you can get the same miracles that they're getting in the quote unquote mega churches. You know, that word is becoming a dirty word in Christianity now. Uh, I have a lot to say about that, but I'm not going to. But we have to get out of the flesh to understand that God, there is no distance in the spirit. We say that a lot. But there's also no playing of favorites from one group to the other. You find where the Holy Ghost is and listen to him and let him work in your life. And you will see the same kinds of miracles that anybody else is seeing. And that's one of the things that encourages me in this church is that when people are obedient to the word and consistent, it's very simple. Not always easy, but it is simple. If you're obedient to the word and consistent, you will see God move in your life the same way as anybody else. There is nothing wrong with you except maybe disobedience. <laughs> There's no reason you can't have. There's no reason you can't do. There's not a single reason. And along those lines, so, you know, instead of the traditional Thanksgiving message, I will be wrapping up part seven of fundamental Christianity, how to believe God. Now, we, we talked a lot about on Sunday what believing God is and, and what it isn't. And, you know, we talked at length about how the devil uses language to distort our perception of what the Bible is saying because we oftentimes will use the modern understanding of a word even though Jesus or a, whoever we're reading in the Bible at that time wasn't using the modern understanding of the word like believe and we talked about how believe has been brought down to a level below knowing so that we wait to know something before we act or before we we, we move forward we say I believe as a way to cover our basis so that we don't sound like we disagree with the word. 
And what that, what that does is it takes the strength out of the word believing. So then we say, I'm believing God for something. We're putting all the energy, all the focus, all the effort on the far-flung future that we are not responsible for, quote-unquote, so that we can, res we can preserve our reputation if it doesn't work. And that's why it's that mindset that keeps some of us believing God for stuff for way too long because you're really not believing God for it. You're just hoping it happens. You can't find a reason to disagree that it can happen. You're really not in disagreement that it will happen. Let me put it this way. You just don't want to be held responsible for it happening. You don't want to be the catalyst for it happening. You don't want your reputation to be at risk if it doesn't happen because you really don't believe it. So it's easy to say, I will be a millionaire one day by faith. I'm believing God for this and I'm believing God for that. It's easy to say I'm believing God for healing. It's easy to say I'm believing God for these things because we created that terminology to protect our reputation. But when I read the scripture, I see a consistent thread through the lives of all the disciples, all the apostles, where they were on the line. Whenever they did ministry or whenever they preached, they were on the line for the manifestation. And what I mean by that is not that they had to conjure some power of their own. I'm not saying that. They weren't conjuring some power of their own but they put their reputation down because they believed God. And one of the hallmarks of true belief is you'll stake your own name on it. That's why most of the things that we say we believe, we don't really believe. Or everybody kind of believes it in the circles we run in, so nobody's really going to fault you for saying it. But nobody really believes it. Because if you were the only person believing it, if you were the only person who said it, if you didn't have a friend, a family member, a church member, a brother, a sister in Christ, an uncle, a cousin, somebody who would agree with you, if you just had to do it and live like it was true all by yourself for an indefinite period of time, how long would you do it before you stopped? See, belief, I'll give you a practical example. Everybody in this room believes in gravity. You've never seen gravity. You don't know anybody who's seen it. We've done all kinds of experiments in school and stuff like that. But we just take it as a, as a truth of the world we live in that gravity is real. But I can prove that you believe in gravity. And it's very simple. There's not a single person in this room, myself included, who will go on the roof of this building with no harness, no safety net, and just jump off. You will not do it. Now, I could, gravity could not exist. That could be the one time that gravity stops working and you go up instead of down. Could happen. <laughs> anything's possible. To be honest, anything is technically possible. But I promise I couldn't talk any one of you into testing it. Couldn't, could not, could, I could pay you all the amounts of money you want to go up there and test gravity. You won't test it. And I've seen what happens when people fall off of high heights. I used to work at heights. It's not pretty. It's very not pretty when people fall from high heights. You ever see something solid hit water from 150 feet in the air? Water is like concrete from that height. It's, it's not smooth. Water is very solid. If you, if you hit terminal velocity when you hit it, it'll shatter metal. You hit water from that height. I know because I dropped something from that height on water. We could not recover it. <laughs> so even water will kill you if you hit it from high enough. Uh... You will not test gravity because you believe in it. Everything you do 
is in a conscious awareness of gravity's existence and its effect. That's why when you go out somewhere, you go up a hill or up a mountain cliff or whatever. I, I know I'm talking to the wrong crowd because we are not climbers and hikers in here. Let's not pretend. But for you, those of you online that are adventurous to go out and do stuff, you take all kinds of safety gear with you. Because you expect gravity to kill you if you don't respect it. You expect gravity that if I fall and I'm not hooked on to something, that's it. They'll send the parts they can find to my family. That's what you believe. You know why you believe that? You've never fallen and died. If you did, this is a different service. <laughs> this service is different. But do you know why you believe that? Because you've seen it. You've heard it. You've never argued, you've never argued against a contradictory opinion. You don't know anybody that's flown. When you see a movie with somebody flying, you accept that as fiction. You say, that's fiction. That's movies. That's TV. That's not real. You don't even allow the idea that you can fly to enter into your mind. You don't allow it to enter into your mind. So even when you watch an image of somebody flying, you say, that's fake, that's not real. So you don't allow a false image to affect your perception of what's real because you believe in gravity. And we've all seen Superman. And we've all seen Iron Man flying around. But we don't believe it because we don't allow that to be real to us. Now, a two-year-old who has not had enough time, enough consistency with the principles of gravity, might see Superman and believe it, and climb up on something high and test it for themselves. That's why parents guard their children until they get old enough and secure enough in this belief system to not test it, to not act against it. Because there's a point in your life when you don't understand that gravity is real. Every image you see is real to you until you are old enough and mature enough to discern real from false. And then you pattern your life around real. That's what's supposed to happen. Nowadays, that's getting a little, even that's getting a little wonky. But when it comes to the word, we act like we have to continually come back and check to see if it's still real or not. Now, what I just described with watching television and not believing it and stuff, that's the same process you're supposed to do with the word. If I watch something that contradicts what I say I believe, I'm supposed to automatically treat it as fiction. We wrestle with ideas that we shouldn't wrestle with because some stuff is kind of real. Maybe it's a little true. Maybe it's not. You know I, know, I know the word says this, but because we don't really believe the word. So we don't treat the word with the same, no pun intended, gravity as we do gravity. So, what, so then what we try to do is use the word on and off at varying intervals in different situations as we see fit instead of treating it like it's always on and it's always true all the time in every situation. And then we wonder why we have inconsistent results in our lives or why we have long periods of no manifestation. That's why. We don't really believe it. Anything you believe, you live like you believe it. I can judge your belief systems by how I watch your day-to-day -day life. If I could spend one day with you, I could tell everything you believe and everything you don't believe. Because the things you don't believe don't mean you disagree with them. It just means you're not willing to take the risk on them. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. See, I had to go back and reevaluate my own beliefs. Because when I look in the scripture, and I look at how those people whose belief was, a, was solidified, I see an element of risk, not true risk, because there's no risk in believing the, the word because the word is true. Right. Just like there's no risk in telling somebody 
that gravity is real because we all know gravity is real. And there's no risk in walking up to somebody and saying, don't jump off that cliff, you'll die. You're confident in saying that. If you saw a little kid run into the edge of a cliff, you would run after them and grab them because you believe in gravity. You would not wait to see what happens. You would, you would give your full effort and attention to, to grabbing that kid and preventing them from engaging with gravity because even though they might not believe in it, you do. And you would respond with the proper level of urgency based on what you believe. And it doesn't matter what they believe. I'm telling you gravity is real. And if you walk off that cliff, that's it. That's how you would respond. Because that's a belief. Now what you have to ask yourself is, how many of those do you have where the word is concerned? How many of those do you have? So you haven't really touched belief until you respond to everything based on it. You haven't really touched belief. What you've touched might be agreement. You might have touched agreement. God said it. I agree with that. I don't have a reason to disagree with it. But that's not belief. Because if it don't cost you something, you don't really believe it yet. Now, some people might take this teaching and go overboard and say, well, I'm going to go sell my house and put all the money in the church and we're going to live in a box. And if God really provides for us, he's going to give us a new house. And it, I'm going to give you some scripture to help, help contain that level of zeal. <laughs> because the beautiful thing about believing the word is you got to get the word on it. And the word comes from the Holy Ghost. And it always comes with instruction. So one of the things that, that the word of God will do is it will instruct you on how to believe it. That's right. it's, not a, it's not a process you have to come up with to prove you believe it. Right. It'll instruct you on how to believe it. It'll instruct you on the actions to take in any given situation based on your relationship with that word right. and based on your belief in it. And the reason why some of us don't get manifestation is because we don't follow those instructions. We come up with some of our own because we're trying to let other people know we believe it instead of actually believing it. And if you were in a situation where nobody cared what you believe one way or the other, like the early church, the early church lived in a polytheistic society. Ancient Rome was a polytheistic society. You could worship anything as long as you didn't Go against the emperor. As long as you didn't go against Rome, we didn't care what you worship. You could worship your cat for all we cared. Society, it was polytheistic. They had a million gods. They had a whole bunch. They really didn't care. The only reason that Christians were persecuted is because the emperor needed a scapegoat. And Christians were multiplying at such a high rate that he figured he could pin his political problems on them. And then it became illegal to be a Christian, but you could still worship anything else. And that's actually where we get a lot of our Christian... Uh, uh, traditions from like Christmas and Easter and things because they had to find a way to hide their Jesus worship in the the practices of the pagan societies so when they were putting up their winter solstice decorations and their trees and things like that we took those and converted them to Christianity so that we could hide our worship of Christ in those things so that they wouldn't kill us that's why we have Christmas trees and Christmas wreaths on the door that's why my dad, when he learned that, he threw our Christmas tree out. <laughs> Christmas trees are the devil. I'm throwing them out. Sorry, dad. <laughs> then you had to go back and buy it because if you know Pastor Diana, you do not besmirch the Christmas tree. <laughs> She's got a 12-foot tree in the center of the house right now. The Christmas tree is sacred. My dad found that out and he heard that that was it for Christmas trees for one year only one he got one and if he couldn't find no scripture for it the Christmas trees are coming back but that is the history of same thing with Easter and things like that the Christians had to hide their celebrations in the polytheistic pagan celebrations so that they wouldn't persecute us because we don't know when Jesus birthday well we kind of know but we know it for a fact it wasn't in December but the winter solstice celebration was. 
So that's how we did. But in a polytheistic society where it doesn't matter who you worship, you take all the risk if you start saying stuff that requires evidence. Because it's easy to switch. And what I've noticed in popular modern Western Christianity is when an idea becomes too unpopular, they just push it aside. And then they start persecuting the Christians who hang on to it because they're playing popularity games instead of truth. So it's easy to come against certain preachers and certain pastors and certain doctrines. We don't need scripture for it. That's just an unpopular idea. We don't want to be associated with that. We want to redefine Jesus. We want to make him the Jesus of this generation so that people will come to our People will come to our church and listen to what we have to say. So I'm not going to give any specific examples because, you know, I'd be here all night. But yet I told you, you know, if you go on social media for five minutes, if you follow pastors like I do, or if, you know, if you follow any kind of ministry, you get all of the, the algorithm sends everything to you. And you see every, a little bit of everything from everybody. And I would say 90% is critical. It's church folks being critical of other church folks. No gospel being preached. It's just that guy ain't preaching the truth. Well, what's the truth? Well, that guy ain't preaching the truth. Well, tell me what the truth is then. They don't ever tell you what the truth is. They just tell you that guy's wrong because it's an easy platform to stand on. And we, we gang up on, and I say we as in the church, we gang up on certain teachings because it's popular right now. But if you're not playing popularity, if you were the only, if you were the first guy to discover gravity, yet yet stand on it all by yourself, you'd still be right. But that's how you find out what you believe, and that's when you realize I don't believe much. I don't believe much as I say I do. I'm just in a safe environment. I'm in an environment where I can say money cometh every day, and no, everybody gonna clap, and I'll be broke 20 years from now, and I can still say money cometh. And people will still clap. Because 20 years ago I was saying money coming, and I ain't rich yet. People still clapping. Now, I'm not knocking anybody, but don't say it if you don't believe it. Well, how do I know if you believe it? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So the gospel has to be mixed with faith in order to be profitable. Now we talk about faith and how faith works with patience. So you, faith works with patience. Lay that down and then come back to it. For we which have believed do enter into rest. We, for we which have believed, enter into rest. Now he said everybody was preached to, everybody got the gospel, everybody got the word, but only some of us believed. Now he gives some uh, Old Testament uh, reference in the next couple of verses, because he's, he's He's quoting Old Testament in the next couple of verses because he's talking to the Hebrews. This is in the book of Hebrews. So Paul is actually making a case to the Hebrews for the validity of the gospel of Christ. So the principle is for everybody, but he gives Hebrew, he gives references that the Hebrew people would understand from the Old Testament because they were still stuck to the Old Testament way of doing things. Now go down. To verse 6, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. And then he gives them more references. Now go to verse 9. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Now, Quick history lesson. In Hebrew culture, rest isn't just sleep, or it's not just a we stop working. He, Paul is a scholar of the Hebrew. Uh, he, he's Hebrew himself, but he's a scholar of the Old Testament. 
and he's making a case to the Jewish culture in this book. And you have to understand that rest means more in their culture than just taking a day off. It actually means the end of toil, the end of struggle. It means the end of warfare. It's the end of debt. Debts are canceled. When we enter into rest, debt is canceled. All struggle, all toil is ended. So the, the, the biblical concept of rest in this place is deeper than just, I'm taking a day off from work. When they took the Sabbath off, it was to represent God resting from his work because God worked for six days and then rested on the seventh, meaning that the work was complete. Paradise had been created and we are now to enjoy this paradise. Day seven, the rest day, the Sabbath day, was the day where we enjoyed the fruits of our labor. We're not just taking the day off, we're actually taking the day to enjoy what is ours. And then every seven years, their economy rested. All debts were canceled. If you owed somebody money, they, could, they, they were only in debt to you for seven years, and then you had to relieve them of the debt, regardless of how much left was owed on it. Anybody in bondage was free. On the rest, in the, in the, in the rest period, you freed all your slaves. Anybody, and back in the Old Testament, slavery wasn't, we kidnap you and make you a slave, so much as it was, they had indentured servitude. Believe it or not, we still have indentured servitude today. It's just called debt. When you owe money on something, you go to work, and a portion of your work is given back to the person you owe money to. In the Old Testament, if you couldn't pay your debt, you would work off your debt for a season in exchange for money. Instead of paying money to, your, to the person you owed, you paid with your work. We do that now. It's just called debt. Just indentured servitude. The only difference is they can't put you in jail if you don't pay your debts but they can ruin your ability to make new debt. And, and when you get into business, the ability to make debt is actually a valuable tool in big business. The ability to create debt, whether you should or shouldn't is a different conversation, but the ability to make it is a valuable tool. A lot of business owners, big business owners, utilize that ability, but they use it different than we do, because we, we make debt to buy cars and houses. They make debt to buy, to buy assets. It's very different, but my point is, we still practice indentured servitude, we just don't call it that now. But the principle remains the same. Well, in the Old Testament, if you had an indentured servant, he had seven years and he was free. That was it. Because rest in that culture is bigger than just taking a day off. It's the end of toil. It's, it's freedom. It's liberty from all struggle. So that's what Paul is talking about when he talks about entering into his rest He's talking about being free from the bondage of the struggle of the world. He's talking about if you were promised wealth, if you were promised health, if you were promised security in your relationships, these are things you are to enter into through your belief. And those who are not entering into it are doing so because of unbelief. This is the case that Paul is making. Verse 9, again, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Verse 10, for he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. So in other words, however you were getting by prior to entering into this rest, that's over. You have to cease from your own works to enter into this rest. Now he's making a case here. Verse 11, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So unbelief can be recognized by a dependence on one's own work. Because belief relieves you of the sensation that you have to work it out. Where unbelief 
places the burden on you to work for what your rest is supposed to have provided for you. Does that make sense? Did I make that clear? Okay. So now, when most people hear that, here's what they hear. And I'm going to take a shot here and say that maybe some of you have even heard it this way. If I'm supposed to cease from my own work, that means I don't have to work anymore. I just have to believe God and then it will come to me because now I'm in his rest. He'll just it'll just manifest in my life. And manifesting is a big thing nowadays. I'm manifesting this. Right. I'm manifesting that. Because we missed. The key here is not. Cease from doing something to walk. to. He says labor to enter into the rest. Labor is work. The key is it's not your work. That's the key. It's not that I can sit on my butt at home and God's just going to put a million dollars on bank account. I wake up one day and a million dollars going to be on bank account that I didn't do anything for. That's not happening. And I'm going to tell you why it's not happening. I'm going to tell you why it's not happening. Because you are not a steward of that kind of wealth until you are a steward of that kind of wealth. And having ideas of what you would do with the money is not the same as being a steward of that kind of wealth. Because you don't know what you're made of until you have to be made of it. And a lot of the things that we say we're believing God for, we're not really believing because we're not willing to go through the process of transformation to have it. We think that we're already ready to receive it, and it's just an issue of time. And it isn't. It's an issue of lack of transformation in certain areas. And God's not going to finance an underdeveloped person at a level that their lack of development would destroy them. It's not that God hasn't promised it to you. It's not that God won't give it to you. Get your mind away from the method. Because you've heard stories of people that woke up and large sums of money was in their checking account. But that's not random. It seems random because you don't know all the work they went through to get to that point. You think that they were just chilling like you and just praying. You're supposed to pray, nothing wrong with praying. But it's more to it than that. It has to be that way because God would be a poor father. You wouldn't do that to your children. You wouldn't give, you never given your children more than they could handle just because you loved them. Because you love them, you insisted on their growth. You insisted on their development so that you could give them what you wanted them to have. It had nothing to do with your ability. It had nothing to do with your love. It had everything to do with, if I give my first car, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day about that. My first car was not a nice car. It was ugly, green, slow, no radio. Roll down windows, no power, anything. Might have had power steering, but it didn't have no power in the motor, so it didn't matter. <laughs> but that was my car for two years. I didn't look cool. Now, I didn't have no friends who had a car, so it didn't matter. But I didn't look cool. I sure didn't sound cool. I used to have to put my, iP my, iP my MP3 player in my lap with headphones for my music, driving around with, head with headphones in because I didn't have no radio. Had a tape deck, but didn't work. But that was my car for two years because that was all the car I could handle. Because the first year I had it, I wouldn't take care of it. I wouldn't beat it up, but my dad was trying to teach me to be responsible with a vehicle. So I would come, I would spend all my money. I was making money. I would spend my money, and then when it needed oil, I would come to him. Dad did money for oil change. He said, well, did you put money inside for the oil change? No, but I think he needs some. So then he had to pay for it. He said, I'm not doing that. Right. The tires need to be rotated, son. Did you rotate the tires? No. So the first year, because I didn't respect the car. Now, if he had given me the type of vehicle I wanted that he could get me. At that point, 
I, it, I would have wrecked it. Not wrecked it driving, because I was a safe driver. Well, you can only be so terrible in a car with 20 horsepower. You can't race it anywhere. So even if you are a bad driver, you, you're going to be safe just because you can't go fast. But if he had given me what he was capable of giving me at that point, it would have destroyed me. Now, in year two, I got, I, got on the, I got on my game. Year two, made sure the oil was changed, light go out of it, so the light got fixed, tires got rotated or got replaced, whatever needed to be done. I took out, I would wash it. The paint was old, but I washed it anyway with the, with the bright spots on it where the sun had baked certain parts of the car and all that good stuff, but I kept it clean. Vacuumed it out even though it didn't have any floor mats in it, but I vacuumed it. I bought some little floor mats to put in it. I started treating it like my car. Every time I go out, I pick up my friends, my little beat up car, roll, roll the windows down, we, we keep it moving. Then year three, or year four, one of those, dad said, all right, son, I can get you this. You can get, you can get, that was my first Mustang. He said, you can get that Mustang. And I've been a Mustang guy ever since. Because a good parent doesn't give you what you ask for. They give you what you can handle. And when we see people receiving these big things, we put all of the emphasis on God being good instead of on the person believing God to the point of receiving that. And what we say is, I'm believing for that too, but you're not believing for that because you believe in gravity. That's why you don't jump off cliffs. But you don't believe in finance because you don't know no more about finance than you knew 20 years ago. You ain't read one financial book in the last 20 years. You ain't took a class. You don't act like a person that knows what to do with the kind of money you say you believe in for. Because you don't really believe for it. You want it, and you've agreed that the Bible says you can have it. But that's not belief. Belief is transformative. Belief is transformative. Belief changes your behavior. My first day at band rehearsal, I had never touched a musical instrument in my life. And I'm riding home, and I look at Dad, and I say, Dad, I'm a musician. They need me. I never played a chord in my life. Couldn't tell you what a chord was. But I believed I was a musician. And every decision I made from then on, I'm a musician. Now, a week prior to that, I'd have told you I want to be a doctor or something. But when you have an encounter with the word about you and believe it, you change. So dad had to immediately, dad, you got to sign me up for a piano lesson. I got to learn how to play the piano because I'm a musician. I'm a musician. I had never played the piano before. I wasn't saying this after years of experience. I was saying this at the beginning of the journey. And I patterned every decision of my life from that moment. I was 12 years old. I patterned every decision from 12 to now based on that moment because I believed it. I believed it. That's belief. It had nothing to do with evidence. Because if you had put me behind a piano when I got home, I couldn't have played Mary Had a Little Lamb. I didn't know, quote unquote, any more than I knew. But I believed. And my decisions changed. So they didn't have to make me practice. They didn't have to make me watch videos on different musicians. I did it on my own. Before I could drive, I'm 12 years old. I'm 13. I'm 14. Me and my friends would go to the music store on the weekends and hang out. Other kids went to the mall or the arcade or wherever. I went to the music store. Didn't have any money. <laughs> Won't buy anything, but... One of our dads would drop us off at the music store and come back in an hour or two. And we would just walk around the store and look at all the stuff and hang out with the old head musicians and listen to them. And I have such clear, vivid memories of that was my childhood. Once I believed myself to be a musician, all I wanted to do was hang around musicians and listen to them talk. And I learned stuff I'm still using today from my environment, the environment I chose to be in. I could have stayed home. It was Saturday. I had to go out to the music store. The closest one was all the way to Virginia Beach. I didn't live in Virginia Beach. I lived in Chesapeake. But I would say, Dad, I'm going to go to the music store, and I can't drive. 
Well, I'll drop you off and go handle some business, come back and get you. All right, cool. That was my childhood because that's what I believe. You would have known everything I believed about myself by what you saw me do. Because that's what belief looks like. You believe in for healing? I heard a testimony of a guy with no feet who bought shoes because he believed for feet. And when he bought the shoes, he put his pants leg in the shoes and the feet grew out. Because he bought shoes with no feet. He wasn't believing God for feet the way we say we believe in God for feet. What we would do is sit at home and say, I'm believing for feet and point to the nubs every day. And the instruction, the belief would say, the word would say, go buy some shoes. And we say, I'm going to buy some shoes as soon as I get some feet. I can't wait to buy some shoes. I'm looking forward to being able to buy some shoes. That's what we do. I'm looking forward to buying some shoes. Well, go buy something now. I ain't got no feet. I don't need nothing now. You don't have to say it with your mouth if you say it with your action. You don't have to say one unbelieving word with your mouth if your actions are unbelieving. That was a good nugget right there. If I don't say nothing else. We think that if I keep saying positive things, I'm, I'm going to get a manifestation. But, if, but you don't just talk with your mouth. You talk with your life. I can call my... I have students who say, man, I love music. <laughs> I have one, I teach the guitar as well as the piano. I have one student who said, I love the guitar, man. I want to play the guitar so bad. I want to be a rock star, man. And I go to your practice this week. I ain't have time. I, I ain't have time. I had school. I had school. And then, you know, I had to go to practice, play baseball. I had to go to baseball practice. I ain't had time. I said, well, did you watch TV this week? Yeah. Well, we watched the top TV. Did you play video games this week? Yeah. Did you eat? I said, eat 10 minutes faster. Take, take the extra 10 minutes, go practice. He's talking to a guy who did it at his age. I know he's got time. I know his parents. He's got time. They spent all this money. They spent hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars on this kid. They love the kid. He said he wants to be a guitar player. I can teach you everything I know, son. But don't tell me you want to do it if your life pattern doesn't change. He has not changed any element of his life to be a guitar player, but he'll never be one. Got nothing to do with talent, got everything to do with transformation. He doesn't believe he's a guitar player. He's a baseball player and a kid. That's fine, because he can tell you everything about baseball. And when his dad wants to punish him, you know how he punishes him? You ain't playing ball this week. His dad is a, co is a coach of his little league team. He said, if you, don't act, if you act up, I'm gonna put you on the bench. That's a punishment to him. Because he's a baseball player. If he said you can't play guitar this week, he won't cry. <laughs> Take that baseball from him, he cries. Because he's a baseball player. So just because he's talking guitar, that's not belief. That's not belief. He comes to a music store and hangs around musicians, so he talks like musicians talk but he lives like a baseball player. 20 years from now, if I throw a baseball at him, he'll catch it. But if I hand him a guitar, he won't know what to do with it. Because that's what belief looks like. All right, I got three minutes left and then I'm done. I need one more scripture just to sort of back up what I'm saying. Go to Romans 10. We ran Romans 10 last time, I believe. I want to go back there just real quick, and then I'm going to give you a couple of nuggets. Matter of fact, if you're taking notes, I might as well take these now, because I'm going to eat when I get home. My wife's been cooking. My house smells so good. It smells so wonderful. Y'all don't know how close I came to just canceling. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. <laughs> Believing is a state of being, not a state of mind. These are short notes. These are all quick little bites. Believing is a state of being, not a state of mind. Believing has very little to do with what you think. It has everything to do with who you are. I judge what you believe by how you live your life, not by what you say, not by what you think from one moment to the next. Because that, that, that can be malleable. That can move based on who we're around. But you are what you are. You are what you do. And you believe, you act based on what you truly believe. If you believe there's a shortage financially, your giving is going to dry up. If you believe that 
my granddaddy died with this sickness, my mama died with this sickness. If that's what you believe, you're preparing to be sick in those areas. I can take it a little deeper than that. I'm going to go just a little bit deeper and I'm done. If you believe that diabetes is the way you're going out because of everybody else in your family, you're not going to exercise. You're not going to exercise. You're not going to clean up your diet. You say, well, that don't make sense because if I really believe that, wouldn't I work out? No, 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 no. Because, see, belief has got nothing to do with mental processing. Belief is not a mental process. Belief is a product of our actions. You're going to live out what you believe, even if you don't want it. You don't have to want it to believe it. Half the stuff we believe is stuff we don't want. But we pattern our life around what we believe, not what we want, not what scripture we agree with. If I can get you to see that, if you go home and see that, you're going to start doing the work to change your belief system. See, I have a different belief system about my body than members of my family and my ancestors. So what I had to do was change my habits and be a way I never saw. I have to be, I have to be a, a different person than I have to be to please people around me. Because I don't have to be the way I am to make people around me happy because they're going to love me anyway. And it don't mean they don't love me. don't mean that. It just means that when you have a different belief system, you're going to have a different way of living. It's, you're going to have a different way of living. Time is irrelevant to you because patience roots you in a set of actions no matter how long it takes. But you, are, you become the different one. You, you become the different one because of what you believe. I believe that I can be as strong and healthy and even healthier than I am now when I'm in my 60s. Amen. I believe that. Amen. I don't believe that I have to get old. Amen. And I won't listen to anybody tell me that I do. Amen. Because I see guys older than, than everybody I know, healthier Amen. than I was in my 20s. Amen. So it's got to be possible. That's what I choose to believe. Now, how much labor does it take to enter into that rest? How much labor does it take to enter into that state of completeness? I don't know. I don't care. I got nothing better to do. When Paul says labor to enter into that rest, he's not saying sit on your butt and just let God hand you things. What he's saying is, if God promised me something and I truly believe it, all of my actions focus towards that goal. That's why you see some preachers are richer than others. Because they'll give their last dime time and time again because they believe in sowing and reaping. So when they reap, we go, well, he's a crook. Or he's a this or he's a that. Because you never gave as big as him. And you'd rather he be a thief because you understand thieves. You understand a guy getting rich from thievery. You don't believe a guy can get rich from giving. Even though you give. You don't believe a guy can get rich from giving because you'd give everything if you really believed it. I know. I didn't even get to read the scripture. It took me a while to get there, but I, I could stay there all night. What I, Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. What I want for my people, what I want is for us to go home and reevaluate what we say we believe. I don't like cliches. Y'all know that. Pastor Diana doesn't like cliches. We, cliches are what religion is built on. We just say stuff. When you say, I'm believing God for this, are you really? Next time you say, I'm believing God for something, stop and ask yourself, am I really? Just ask yourself that question. If the answer is no, that's okay. Go back and say, now why, why aren't I believing that? And then let the Holy Ghost, see, here's the thing. And then I'm done, I promise. My watch got 30 seconds. Here's the thing. The responsibility of the Holy Ghost is to guide you in your belief. Yes, 
I got scripture for that too. I didn't get a chance to get to it. We don't allow the Holy Ghost to guide us along the belief system because we don't believe very much. The same Holy Ghost that convinces you that you are born again, you believe you're saved. You believe that to your dying breath, that you're going to heaven. You don't question that. You don't think you might go to hell. You know you're going to heaven. The reason you know that is because the Holy Ghost is reaffirming that in you because you let him. But when he reaffirms in you, you know you need to exercise because I promised you a long, healthy life, but not, not from your couch. When he reaffirms that in you, you don't listen. And you would rather believe for healing than believe as a healthy person. You would rather believe for a miraculous reversal of disobedience than to obey. And I just use that as an example because I disobeyed for a long time. And there's, not, there's no miracle involved in me transforming my body. It's all work. It's all labor. But I'm entering into the rest of health. I'm entering into the rest that was promised me through labor. You can do that with money, too. You can do that with your family. You can do that. Two married couples that had a terrible marriage, two married couples, two people in a terrible marriage, can look at each other and say, I'm going to work for the rest in this marriage. I'm going to put my feelings down. I'm going to put my emotions down. I'm going to put my childhood trauma down. And I'm going to labor for this marriage to be strong. And you know what will happen? That very good marriage that you were promised in the word will be yours. Instead of sitting around praying about it all the time. Do some work. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm going to go home. My wife has cooked dinner. It is amazing. I ain't going to tell y'all what I said. I said, baby, I'm going to tell you. I said, baby, you cook like an ugly girl. <laughs> now, I want you to, I want you to uh, hold on now. Think about what I'm saying. Hold on. Because I don't want to use this one on your wife. I said, baby, you cook like an ugly girl. I said, because, you know, you too fine to have to cook this good. You know, an ugly girl, she got to try harder. <laughs> I said, you cook like a girl that's got to try. You ain't got to try this hard. You cook like an ugly girl. She said, yeah, okay. <laughs> she didn't quite say it like that, but she understood what I was saying. You know, ain't no ugly women in this church, but some of the men in here have been around some ugly women. They the cookiest women you ever seen. <laughs> they the cookiest women you ever saw. My wife cooked like an ugly woman. <laughs> and I'm happy. I'm happy because she ain't got to cook that good. Lord knows what I got waiting on me at home. So happy Thanksgiving to all of you and your family and family here and those of you that wanted to be here but were not able. We love you. Pastor Diana loves you. And we are looking forward to a great 2024 as we come up on it. Amen.